So, Dimitri, we're talking to Rezia Usman today, yeah? Yeah, Rezia Usman. Tell me about her. Uh, really interesting background. She's uh, actually originally from Indonesia. She's mm-hmm. a passionate educator with a lot of high interests in language education and international education, which has brought her to America, mm-hmm. it's brought her to Korea, where she's based now. And so, yeah, very, very interesting career path. Dang, that's like really all over the place, so many different cultures. Yeah, and she, she talks a lot about it. She um, kind of gives us a little insight into the nuances between different cultures, cultural norms, and how that can have an effect in the workplace and as well as personal relationships with other coworkers. Yeah, well, I'm sure with all her different experiences, she has a lot of good advice to offer. Let's get in it. So first, could you introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit more about your background. Uh, so my name is Rezia Usman. And I'm from Indonesia, and currently I live in South Korea. I work for a university, and uh, my role is international relations. So basically what I do is that I connect the university I work for with other entities internationally or globally. So um, it could be other universities, organizations, industries, just basically anything. Growing up in Indonesia, I was born in I grew up in Indonesia, and my background was slightly different than most of Indonesians. My father was Indian, and my mother was half Chinese, half Indonesian. At that time, when, we were, when, when I was growing up, it was not pretty common. But growing up in such a, in such a rich cultural environment always makes me feel that I'm, I was not able to fit in anywhere. But at the same time, I didn't know that that kind of feeling actually prepped me to be able to be more resilient when I'm around other people of different cultures and living in environments uh, with uh, cultures that is so different from mine. In 2008, I got a great opportunity in teaching Indonesian language and culture at Arizona State University in the U.S. Then I continued for my master's degree at Ohio University, also for teaching Indonesian language and culture. And during the span of those three years, and it was my first time living abroad, the experience was very rewarding, not only because I got to know so many different people, not just Americans. A lot of my students and people I interacted with, uh, they came from different cultures. As you know, a lot of parts of the U.S. are very diverse. So that's how I decided and told myself I really want to be in this environment for the rest of my life. So what I did was I went back home. I worked for an American um, company, uh, education company. Uh, but at the same time, my role was also interacting with people from different cultures. And now here I am in South Korea. Uh, still in education, but I'm dealing with a lot of people from outside of South Korea, from from Indonesia, from multiple different countries. So, yeah. That is very interesting. It's fun, the cultural background you have. So before we ask further questions about your career, one fun question we like to ask people is, what is something that someone would be surprised to learn about you? Oh, uh, that I like death metal. <laughs> oh, that is surprising. <laughs> I always come across us as one of those either sweet or party girl or someone who's just like pop and anything. And as soon as they scroll through my playlist, it's like, do you listen to this? And, mm-hmm. and uh, it's always surprising people. So. Do you have a favorite group or band? I do, but um, they're not internationally uh, widely known. Uh, they're Japanese death metal. So <laughs> that is very interesting. Well, thank, thank you, you for sharing that. That is a fun fact. Now to continue, 
you mentioned that you work with a lot of different countries currently. Mm-hmm. How is it that you were able to manage different cultural environments, working with different countries and people when you first started and you'd never been to these places before? So um, that's a very interesting question. And to be completely honest with you, that is a question that I still ask myself and I constantly reflect because you probably heard this statement a lot that, you know, corporate culture in each country is different and the culture is different, but how different and how we manage it is, is, it's always a constant um, effort, you know, and in, in South Korea and particularly in what I'm doing right now to be able to balance on, um, on how to deal with things internally and then at the same time process those information and then I, I move it to different parties um, globally, um, that's always a constant challenge for me. Let me give you an example. Like in South Korea, it, it, particularly with some organizations that is not so many people from different countries as decision makers, it's very common that um, you're not supposed to appear as someone who make who call the shots. You have to let your boss doing it. And it's very top down uh, culture. You have to make sure that your boss or your supervisor or whoever um, you know, you're reporting to and give them the feeling that they're the one who's making the decision for you, uh, regardless whose idea that was. So but at the same time, like for example, if you're dealing with other parties or other organizations abroad and you're the one who have that idea or you already have that discussion before how do you actually make sure that your boss is on your side and at the same time you can move forward with other parties from outside of South Korea and be and, and understand that this is what you need to do that took me quite a while actually and even I'm still doing that right now I could say that I'm, I'm better at doing it right now I'm more versatile I'm more uh, tactful in doing things but um, there are a few things that definitely was useful I think for me the few strategies is first I'm, I was always around my co-workers who have been here longer than me and who understood things better and I wasn't hesitant in asking questions and see what their insights are. And when I said my coworkers who have been here for some time, they're the ones who were also just like me, different background, not Korean, and then, uh, but they've been here for quite some time and actually thrive. And that's one. And second, it has been a very humbling, humbling experience to be in this culture, actually. So it's very, very important <clears throat> that you realize when you come in into a certain culture, you study on how they live. It's beyond a workplace. It's beyond your team. So in South Korea, people don't think individually, don't think for themselves. You have to think of the good of the team and everyone should not supposed to stand out in a way that make other people look worse than you. So in another way to say is that I have to make sure that whenever I decide something, I would involve my team. I would involve other people. I would involve uh, my bosses so that everyone knows what's going on before I move forward. And the same thing, like, for example, if you are going to have a meeting with someone abroad, you have to make sure that there's someone next to you to be able to, uh, that you use as a 
how do you call that the sounding board to actually uh, realize that what what I what things that I say it's backed up by him or her in a way that it's culturally accepted. Uh, it doesn't necessarily need to be Koreans, but you know it's good to have someone next to you and vouch that okay um, we're doing this according to the protocol. So that's the second one, and a third one is just last one is very important. Do, always drop your ego. That's um. Something that I've always been telling myself, whatever that you say, whatever that you do um, around here, it should not be about you. It should be about the university. It should be about the other people uh, thinking, and it should be how everyone's going to be feeling about it. It doesn't matter whether I want to progress. I want to be better. As long as it's not good for the team or for the entire organization, then it's not for me. I shouldn't be doing it. And the third one is particularly hard for me because I've always been, I wouldn't say individualistic or very selfish or something like that, but I've always been thinking for myself. I'm so used in making decisions and whatever things that I do, as long as I can be responsible for it, I have no um, problems um, you know, doing it. In cultures like Japan and South Korea, you can't do that. You're not supposed to think for yourself. You have to represent the team. You have to represent the entire organization. So you're not supposed to think just for yourself. That's a very humbling experience. And it's, it's been an interesting ride. And I'm proud to say that uh, I progress a lot. I'm a different person. It changed me in a way that I really like. I became more relaxed with things. So it's more than just work. It transformed you as a person too. Yeah, I imagine it would be quite a learning process. Just, I feel like we're pretty similar here in the U.S. where we're independent mm-hmm. and people do a lot of things on their own. So it would be interesting to go to that culture of group thinking and it just changes each step of the way, I imagine. Right, right. <clears throat> and one good example, I know a lot of people from, let's say, more influence in a Western culture would see it. Why would you do that to yourself? Why would you do that to other people? Like, for example, in a team when the boss said, oh, let's have dinner tonight and um, let's celebrate this and blah, blah, blah. And then if you know you have plans for, for that night, you're not supposed to openly say, I already have plans that would be considered as inconsiderate uh, because you're not thinking for the group. This is something that everyone should do together. When somebody asks you, oh, how do you feel about this place? How, what do you think of the food? You're, you, <laughs> there's only so much that you can say in being honest. You know, saying something that displeasing the other party would be considered as rude and disrespectful. So you have to find a way to say no in a way that um, you know, it wouldn't be upsetting to the other party. Whereas, you know, my background living in the States and working for an American company before taught me that I have to be straightforward and I have to be transparent. I had, I had to be independent and move forward in a way that I don't need everyone to, to tell me what to do or to, to agree on what I decide to do. So it was, it was really quite a contrast, and it's been an interesting experience. Oh, it sounds like it, for sure, <laughs> going from one to another. Did you always know that you wanted to work in international business or work internationally? I think that it's always an evolving theme in my life, and there's no particular moment that I could remember growing up and said, 
I want to be in this environment. Or I decided that I have to always have access to stuff like this. But no, it's more like a gradual process. A few things, when I, when I am selecting career, I always make sure two things. First, I have to be in education industry, whatever it takes. My entire family was English teachers. That's the only thing that I'm good at. And I'm, I know I'm, I'm going to be good. I, I like being around students. I like being around schools or universities. It's just me. And the second thing is that I have to deal with people. Like it can't be a desk job for me. So as long as those two things are met, everything else um, I can play around with. But these days, it's been, um, always been international environment. Um, I think it's because I've gotten better working with the different corporate cultures. So I just want to make use of that. And to top it off, people around me, particularly people in a higher positions, saw that I had a talent for that and they gave me the opportunity to do that. And it's a nice feeling when someone actually confirmed that you are good at it and you're given the opportunity to grow further, to flourish, to cultivate that part of you. That leads perfectly into my follow-up question. I'm curious, how were you able to get your international jobs or careers, whatever roles you had, and what kind of barriers did you face along the way? So that has to depend on if you're, for example, if you're looking at how is it possible to get that kind of jobs, uh, it's usually very difficult to look for opportunities abroad that actually is going to be rewarding for you. It's also a question that my fellow Indonesians ask me the whole time. How did you arrive at this opportunity to begin with? I can't stress this enough to everyone. Network is extremely crucial. So whenever that you are in conferences or you meet someone else or you meet other people, it is very, very important that they have to be a part of your network. So when I, when I say part of your network, it's not necessarily just stacking up business cards or you know putting them on LinkedIn or friends with them on Facebook. Uh, when I say making sure that people are actually your network, it's first when you met them, you have to to allocate some time in getting to know them as a person, what they do, where they're from. In a way, make an impression that one day when this person go back to their country or just move forward with life, they will be able to remember you for the rest of, of their lives, no matter how brief uh, the conversation was or the, um, the, the interaction was. So, for example, if um, my colleagues sometimes uh, would bring in guests to our universities and the guests, let's say, from France. And they're just passing by in a way that my, my colleagues are just showing them around, oh, this is our facilities and blah, blah, blah. Oh, and then I was just passing by. We always have a habit for, oh, this is my colleague. Meet Razia. Razia is from Indonesia and she's in charge of blah, blah, blah. That's the time where I, I check their names, where they're from, and ask, what do you think of Korea? Is this your first time here? And then make an impression that way when one day they move on from Korea, they left Korea. They would always remember there's this one lady that I met. I remember she's from Indonesia and she said something nice to us and I felt welcome. That's how we keep people in your network. That And that is very important to stay genuine and making sure that everyone is in the loop. By having a large network like that, that means everything that they do, it's within your reach. For example, how did I land the job that I'm doing right now in South Korea? Uh, the person before me, he was also Indonesian. 
and uh, he worked here for six years. And then when he decided to resign, he didn't tell anyone uh, about it. He didn't tell any friends and everything. He just moved on. But before he started working for the same position as I did, he was already in my network. We actually uh, crossed paths when we went to the United States together for the teaching opportunity. I think both of us left a quite good impressions to one another. I, I, was, um, I remember him as someone who is very unique, an Indonesian working abroad. He studied in, um, and taught in the United States and working in South Korea, exactly what I'm doing. So I took time, some time to just say hi to him at, at least once in a year, ask what he's doing. So when he actually moved on uh, from his work, he went back to Indonesia. We met at a certain conference and I asked how things are. And he said, Rezia, you should apply for as my replacement. You would love this job, um, you know, because I've been doing these things and it reminds me of you. So that's how I got to know this position to begin with. And if I didn't know him before, if he didn't know my potentials, I wouldn't end up here, for example. So I think it comes down to, particularly with Asia, it comes down to who you know and who you talk to, who you left impressions to. And that's very, very crucial. And that's what actually keep people going. It doesn't work with every single occupation, of course. There are certain work that, you know, things that are more rigid, the, the only way to do it, the only way to land the job is when you are looking up a few opportunities online, then you have to show your portfolio and whatnot. That's actually very helpful to consider networking. And right. do you have any advice for how to maintain the relationships in a network? There are a few things. In general sense, as a rule of thumb, first, take some time in getting to know people. That's one. That's a very basic advice that I always tell everyone, including my staff. Whoever that you meet in life, no one should be a waste. Do not make decisions immediately. Oh, I don't need to get to know this person. Oh, I don't need him for now. If you have the time, spare a few minutes to ask, do you like it here? Do you like what you do? Even though the person doesn't seem to be interested in asking you back the questions, it doesn't matter. He or she will remember you. So that's one thing. And second, networking has always been an abstract and in intangible effort that people seem to have difficulties in understanding on how to, to do it. I have a habit of whoever I just met, if the interaction is only a few minutes, whether the interaction is one day or one week, I added them somewhere, LinkedIn or you know, um, Facebook, depending on what type of relationship I have with that person. After that, take some time to send a message to them. It was very nice meeting you, and uh, thank you for visiting us here. Um, I hope you had a great experience, and the best of luck in the future. It's short and sweet, but you know there's something. You already established a relationship by that time. Now, the question is how you maintain it in the future. And if you have them on your Facebook or a LinkedIn, that means it all depends on you, on how you create your content in a way it would be engaging for anyone who's on your network so it all comes down to that mm -hmm. showing that you care and genuinely and you that, know um 
um, it's really difficult to play that part where you know your network or you know who you're dealing with is just for work and you, you don't want to sound or come across as pragmatic. You just use them for network. So uh, the key where to make sure this is professional and genuine at the same time is, is, is art. And there is no way to fast forward that there's no way to expedite that process. It takes time, it, it gets better with time, it gets better with each time you meet people and uh, from different cultures, from different um, walks of life in different settings. Uh, the best way to do it is to allow yourself to be exposed with as much experience as possible, whether you are at conferences, you, whether you are at you know, uh, small gather, business gatherings, and it doesn't matter whether that person is older or younger, or in a higher position and whatnot. I think that's a great suggestion. Thank you for sharing that. Now, I kind of want to open it up for you a little bit since mm -hmm. you know your experience better than anyone. Like if you have any word of advice, it can be more specifically about your career and what you do or what you wish you'd known at the start of your career that you know now. Any type of advice that you feel like comes to mind that's meaningful. This is probably very specific of me. I'm sure not everyone has the same struggle, but because of my personality and um, just in general, I'm a person that always move fast, work fast. I don't take time in being observant. And as I grow older, I realize that in my younger days and when I start working, I should have been more observant and receptive to things around me. Although culturally also it's not something that is, you know, encouraged in certain different settings. Like for example, when I live in the States, I remember that if I'm quiet for the entire time because I'm observing people, I was considered as passive, you know, and that person who's just doesn't seem to want to contribute at all but in asia if you jump in into a conversation very fast and everyone is a stranger you'll be seen as someone who wants to know it all and a very selfish person but in general in general when you get yourself into um, any situation whether it's a work conference seminar business gathering networking a dinner always take some times and uh, research as who's going to be there who are, who are these people, uh, what background they're from. And most importantly, set up a very, very small goal by the end of this event. What do I get out of it? How is it useful for me? It's not an easy thing, but I noticed that each time um, I'm on something like that, if I set up a small goal like that, it would help me to become better. So to be more reflective, to be more contemplative, and to be more prepared, that's one. The second one would be, there's no such thing as bad opportunities. In life, we make, everyone makes that mistakes, right? I wouldn't call it mistakes, but you always land into an opportunity that you realize, this is not for me. <laughs> and you just realize that, you know, your contract probably lasts for one year, but two or three months into working, you just realize this place is not for you. My advice is just make the best out of it. There's no such thing as a waste, a wasteful opportunity. So even if that's not for you, stay a little bit and see what you can get out of it. Other than, of course, uh, financial compensation, whether, whether it be it's like people that you met there, who you can learn from. And what information that you can actually uh, harvest and use it for your own learning. There's always something like that. 
always. That second one is a real comforting word of advice to hear, especially <laughs> a young student who's preparing to go out there. I think sometimes we are afraid. Do you mind if I add one more? Yeah, go ahead. A few things that my parents and people around me um, have been asking is like, when are, when are you going to stop and root somewhere and just stay in one place? And I've been waiting for that day to come. And it doesn't seem to be coming anytime soon. That's why um, what I'm trying to say is that if you can't seem to pin down where you want to uh, go or what you want to do in the next six months or one year, don't worry. I'm 40 years old and I'm still wondering what I'm going to do next year. And it's not a bad thing. It's actually like very exciting. You keep waiting for new opportunities. I think we are more <laughs> used to change in these generations. And hmm. I think it is a really good tool to be adaptable. It was great hearing from you, and I really appreciate you taking this time to chat with me a little more and participate in this podcast with us. Definitely. Thank you so much. That was a super, super great time with Rezia. Yeah, really fascinating information. Very great speaker. Really great. Mm -hmm. I loved her point about dropping your ego and basically letting go of your pride when you come into another culture. Yeah, felt was something that uh, we all could use and um, kind of along that line, really like the, the point she made about not being hesitant and asking your coworkers questions. I think that's, mm -hmm. that's something that's very important, whether that's a domestic workforce or, or working internationally. Yeah. Hey, listeners, if you found this advice super useful like we did, then we encourage you to head over to internationalhub.org where next week we'll be posting another episode full of advice for your intercultural experiences. Mm -hmm.